Welcome to Decades From Home, a podcast about Germany. I'm Nick Houghton of 40%German.com, and as always, I'm joined by co-host Dilly Algemer to discuss the weird and wonderful side of living in Germany. Hey, Dilly, welcome back to the show. You were off last week. Uh, me and Simon had to hold down the fort without you. Are you feeling better? Hi, Nick. It's lovely to be back. Am I feeling better? Mostly. What front do you want to hear about first? Oh, I want to know about the wonders of the German healthcare system. Did you have some fun adventures? Because I'm sure every time I interact with German healthcare, I have some kind <laughs> of weird story to come back with. So, I mean, one thing I can say is that my house asked my general practitioner that I usually see is seriously the best doctor I've ever seen in Germany. That's great news. That's good. Right? I mean, everyone gets a recording, like, like you know, they get called like over some uh, system. But when it's my turn, he comes out and he takes me from the waiting room and I think it's cute. Oh, that's nice. Very. You're getting the, the, the five-star treatment. I know. He believes me and, and like when I say something, he doesn't second guess um, or like, you know, uh, he really goes with it. I, I really appreciate it. If I need a test, he gets me a test and he prints literature out for me about the flu and everything. That's really good. I, you get a lot of, um, or at least I hear a lot of quite negative stories, especially from women in the German yeah. healthcare system. I, he, he has a colleague who's just nuts, but yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, I think my wife goes to a doctor where if, if it's the young doctor, it's fine. If it's the old doctor, it's going to be a bad visit, you know, uh -uh, it's always the same. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's. I find German healthcare. The debate is always sort of between the British healthcare system and the German healthcare system. I, I find that myself yeah. in that conversation more yeah. more than I really want to be. But the yeah. thing that you kind of uh, it works, it functions. But there's always some kind of weird aspect to it, whether it's homeopathy or whether it's the bedside manner. Yeah. Or there's always something that just a little bit jarring. Uh, yeah, so have, there's something I, a little bit well, racist. Yeah, there's that too. I, just, I would have been surprised if that wasn't the case, sadly. Um, I get the feeling that that's something that you've experienced more than once from yeah. your uh, medical practitioners. I'm actually uh, taking part in uh, some research being uh, done into racism or racisms in the German healthcare system. Really? And yes, and I um I I am part of it because I uh, hotly wrote off an email to the uh, Chamber of Doctors in Hessen after a particularly mm -hmm. bad experience with a doctor in a hospital and it landed with the doctor responsible for human rights and racism. And um he and I had an exchange and we both had several exchanges with the doctor in question. And since my email address is obviously saved in the system, someone messaged me and asked whether I would like to talk about my experiences. And um, I spent very recently a long afternoon talking to a, a very lovely lady, going over three or four experiences in particular. So they hope to be able to talk to hospitals and doctors and propose changes a proposed new policies and i'm excited to see what comes out of it oh yeah i mean that sounds great uh, i've mm. not really heard of any kind of initiatives like that i mm. think that's really worthwhile 
it's one of those things where you just hear and you hear so many stories of, about people of color or women in particular uh, of color who mm. have these like whenever i talk about it online that's the responses i often get from lots of people aside from like the 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 sort of farmer bros who are like German healthcare system is the best system in the world. The best system, better than Britain's system, which is the other replies that I get, which aren't quite uh -huh. as helpful. <laughs> but yeah, I think you hear it so much that you're like, oh, there must be something that can be done, you know, because yeah. it is such a, a critical issue. Yeah, um, it is. You see in Britain that the, the health outcomes for people of color are, are really poor. I don't know that there's yeah. any, because I know Germany has a thing about doing statistics that are broken down by race. So they actually yeah. avoid doing that, which in one way seems quite quite kind of, um sensible but in the other yeah. way it means you don't have any data about about kind of the racial breakdown of situations or yeah. how many people suffer certain kinds of of discrimination um yeah. so yeah i think that data alone is going to be really vital hey good for you to yeah. fight the system man uh <laughs> thank you <laughs> <laughs> no but i think it's i think it's important because because you're doing something that a lot of people don't do which is actually speak up and like you went and emailed them and said, hey, this is unacceptable. Yeah, I, I get that. I also get the people that don't want to do it because, uh, I mean, you don't get you don't get the kind of response that you expect. You don't get people that say, hey, thank you so much for writing in. Uh, it's essential that we talk about it. Uh, there has to be a discussion. And uh, whatever the outcome is, is, I mean, at the end of the day, when I did write, it was more she said, he said. And uh, that's where we kind of stopped. And there aren't any consequences for the doctors who are racist in the system. So um, I can imagine why people don't want to write. Um, and sadly, sometimes I think it's also that people don't understand it for what it is. But it takes a lot of energy. It takes strength. And um, to talk about it again is also to relive it. And it, it was a bit hard, which is also why it's on my mind right now when I'm talking to you. But um, yeah, that's me going over things. No, I th I th but of course it's going to be on your mind. Like, why wouldn't it be? It's, it is important. And um, I mean, I would say as a, as a sort of generic NPC bloke who exists in Germany, you know, like a very sort of, a heterosexual white middle-class male my experience of healthcare isn't great but i kind of as a bloke i appreciate the matter of factness of german doctors but i don't think all doctors should like assume that that's what patients want i remember going to see a chief surgeon uh, that i'd been recommended for surgery mm -hmm. and i went in and he spoke really fast in german very stern mm -hmm. and he wanted to look at the area that was going to be operated on and he straight away looked at it and shook his head and just went he said something and I was like, are you recommending surgery? He's like, I'm not recommending surgery. You're getting surgery. And I was kind of like, whoa. And as whoa. I walked away, I was actually like, actually, that's kind of what I needed. I need someone to kick me up the ass. And okay. like angry doctor is, is something that kind of I, I tend to respond to. But I was like, uh -huh. for other people that maybe need a little bit more sensitivity or a little bit more care in their yeah. way they're communicated with. Like not yeah. everyone's going to think that that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm glad that you've got a good GP though. That, that's the worst yeah. weight in gold, I would yeah. say. I mean, when we talk about racism, um, it's it's also not to say that people didn't have a bedside manner. I mean, in my case, at least, I, I was just in several instances just not believed and people contradicted me over me stating that I was in pain, for instance. 
and uh, you can't even second guess someone who says yeah i mean pain i need pain medication and uh, that sort of thing but again it's it's something that it's not just german healthcare where you hear these stories you hear it from women in in britain and women in the us as well that's the thing um, yeah you're right the circles we travel in you do hear like women just generally going i'm in pain and doctors going ah that's no, not it's not what you I think i know it is. yeah i mean you're brown then you're a woman at i mean i'm talking about myself and then you're like screwed twice so yeah i've got a lot to be angry about some days oh no i think i think it's a perfectly well placed anger i'm angry mm. most days but it's never it's never really yeah. worth my anger <laughs> i'm just yeah at least you've got justified anger justified anger would you like a pigeon update nick talking about anger uh, Oh god yeah I'd love uh, I'd love an angry pigeon update tell me tell me so, are the pigeons angry or are you So Nick I was hoping that you know they'd fly away from the nest and stay the fuck away but you mm-hmm. know they don't so the adult oh. pigeons they're a little uh, slightly smaller than the rest of the city pigeons that you see and they mm. flew away in the morning at around 6:37 and they would come back in the evening and then I couldn't throw away my my flower pot um because they it was their home and it felt bad but it was it also smelled bad because um an entire family yeah. of pigeons had shat in it over a month and so i thought i'd spray it with vinegar which is how you do it right in germany you spray things with vinegar when you want to <laughs> it's the only way to clean is with vinegar i thought it would be like ah oh, you know i i am not going to come back the pigeons were going to not sit in vinegar they did want to sit in vinegar and then i found a half empty bottle of shampoo that was 3 years old so i put all the shampoo in it and everything this still sat in it this is um, pigeons going to see their mates and like you won't believe what's happened at our gaff you know it's turned into <laughs> some kind of wellness center like <laughs> the cleanest with the cleanest pigeons on the block <laughs> Yeah, vinegar and shampoo. I think it doesn't get any better than that. And I felt so awful about it, but I also wanted them to stay away. And then my boyfriend and I went to OB, hardware stuff, and we got ourselves a plastic crow, a scarecrow, if you will, quite literally. Yeah. And the pigeons are sat next to it. Thank you. <laughs> nobody, <laughs> nobody said that this would happen, and I thought, oh, okay, so this is going to be the end of it. No. It's going to be covered in pigeon shit soon. You might need an owl. Why? Have you had any luck with owls? I just know that the owl ones are like the step up from the crows. The crow ones kind of scare off small birds, but the owl ones uh. tend to scare off cuz I think I don't know that pigeons usually get attacked by owls, but owls can be quite vicious, can't they? They are. So, I mean, maybe that might be the next step. Oh fuck. I me. remember we had we had a problem with uh, sort of birds in general eating the fruit that we were growing mm. on our balcony mm. years and years ago and mm-hmm. um I begged my wife because she's the 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 brains of the operation I was like mm. we should get a crow to scare off the birds and she was mm. like oh, I don't know I don't like it it looks a bit tacky uh, not sure and I was like no it's honestly it work it'd be great and she went, okay I'll go out and buy one right and she bought one I came home what you bought wasn't the plastic crow that you see on a lot of people's balconies mm. that a lot of people use it was a stylized kind of metal crow with like a cartoon face and a top hat and glasses and i was like oh, for fuck's sake it's not 
<laughs> and I came home and Brilliant. the birds were just sitting, sitting on it. And I was like, they don't, it's not scared them. It's, why have we got this thing? <laughs> like, it's useless. Um, so, yeah, I wasn't Did massively impressed with that decision. No, absolutely not. It was totally fucking useless. We still got it in the garden. It sits quite happily on the bird table and the birds just hang around it. I can go for an hour, but then, you know, the you know, I'm scared of birds. And the more realistic it gets, the the chances are that I'm going to scare myself. So, no. <laughs> you turn a light on. Whoa, fuck. <laughs> yeah, it's already like that with the fucking crow, scarecrow on the balcony. Every time I go to the loo, I'm like, fuck. And then I'm like, yeah, I paid for that. And then I sit on the loo. Oh, Jesus Christ. No, what's that's going not on? what you want. No, that's not what a girl wants. Maybe all the vinegar and shampoo and fake crows will eventually pass the message on. Can't you just phone Peter, won't they? They were the people who told you to how to sort of look after the birds once the once the the, the parent pigeons had left your uh, your your balcony squat. Um, can you not phone them? It's not a system where you can just get how you get rid of pigeons. Well, when I did call them, they said the pigeons were too tiny and I couldn't bring them into the wildlife pigeon place. And now they're, I mean, they're not there during the day and no one's going to come here creeping about at night to take away full grown birds that are going to like fly around in a car. How about instead of getting a plastic crow, you dress up as a crow. Ah, ah, get a crow suit. Do you take a hit to your head in the battlefield? (laughs) Many, many hits that. (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't make my idea any worse. It's a great idea. Sure, I'm, the German education it. system is going to pay me to stay at home and mingle and mingle with the pigeons. Oh dear! Oh, yeah. uh, speaking of staying at home, I'm on paternity leave at the moment. Glorious as it is, um, but the reason I've been doing paternity leave is because um, I've been taking my daughter. We Simon and I spoke about it last week taking my daughter to kindergarten through this kind of process of acclimatization. To get yeah. um to get the my daughter sort of used to being in the kindergarten and it's uh it was it's been it's been fun the last few days and I've I, like I think I said to Simon I've got a very strong appreciation for um the kind of the kind of work they do because it is I, I'm wary of saying it's God's work but it bloody feels like it. <laughs> I have a question, Dilly. You've got your hand up at the you got you got your hand up at the back, Dilly. Yeah, yeah. You thank you. Tell me. Thank you. I've got a question. It's more of a comment. So, Nick, you said that you had to stay in a room in the kindergarten all by yourself. I need to know the whole story. Ah, right. Okay. So this is all. There's different steps to the what they call the um. Uh, was it that the word? Eingewöhnungsphase or whatever I think is the term they mm-hmm. use in this kind of adjustment period. And the mm-hmm. first phase is was last week was three days from Wednesday to Friday, where we only do up until we started we were there for an hour and a half, mm-hmm. and I sat at the side and and my daughter kind of interacted and kind of just try to get used to it. Then we had the sort of a bit longer on the the Thursday, and then um, we're at around about sort of quarter past half past 11 they go into what they call the garden which is just to go outside to play with outside toys uh, when the weather's good and that's the bridge point between lunchtime so she didn't want to do the garden thing on the thursday and then she didn't want to do it on friday without um, at all and then on monday she wanted to do it but i had to go with her mm-hmm. and then 
today she went on her own for the first time. So it's mm-hmm. slowly kind of, I'm being removed from the equation. But f- since mm-hmm. Monday, I turn up at eight o'clock with my daughter. She goes mm-hmm. to into the kindergarten room and they take me into what the, it's politely called the bibliotheque, but it's really just a really big kind of, um, it's like a music room or something. There's like two or three pianos. There's posters mm. for the um, the the core and the capella bands and stuff mm. that are connected to the church. That's part that that is responsible for the kindergarten. And uh, I basically sit in there for four hours on my own. <laughs> well, that's what I've done yesterday. Is what I did today. It's what I'll do again. I think tomorrow. Alone? Or is it tomorrow? I just turn up and drop her off. Yeah, just on my own. No other on parents. You're the only one doing this. They only do parents one at a time. Our kids one at a time, sorry, they integrate one kid and then the next kid and then the next kid. So the, fo- the all the kids get to know that one kid and then they become part of the group. And mm-hmm. there's like, whenever they go, everyone says goodbye to them. And they're like, they talk about like that my daughter's there and, and kind of trying to get her used to it, but also the kids used to it. And the older kids are totally amazing. They're like, they're so lovely. They came up to my daughter and was like holding her by the hand and putting her arm around, an arm around their shoulder. Um, there's a bit where we went in the garden. Was it yesterday I went in the garden? Yeah, I think it was yesterday I went in the garden with mm. her. And um, it was, it's really hard not to just, it breaks your heart because you can't, you can't do everything for them. You know, mm. you can't, and they can't explain it. It's, they really have to work it out themselves. So she turned up, all the kids rush off to get toys. They all know what the process is. My daughter doesn't really know and she got a scooter and it's too big for her and she wasn't having any fun and then she like came over to me and was like it's too big and i was like, oh well you can play with some of the other stuff and she was just like oh, i don't know and she got some crayons and the crayons didn't work on the path she wanted chalk and then all the kids were playing with chalk but she was too scared to speak to them and i was Aww. just like oh my heart is breaking but eventually like the one of the teachers came over and sort of helped her but like it's good that I'm not there because you just you're desperate to solve all their problems because that's what you do, isn't it? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. For three years, you're just the problem solver, and then now they've got to work it out themselves. But yeah, um, yeah it's all a, a little bit um, weird. But it, it's really weird at the moment because I'm essentially today I just sat in a room for four hours and then I t- took my daughter home and um, I've read a book. So do you eat something there? Do you take do you take a meal? When I first turned up, they gave me cups of coffee, but they just forget about you. They just put you in a room and I just sat there and I like left. It's only around the corner. So I had breakfast, walked around, sat in yeah. a room. I should have taken a flask or something, but yeah. um, I'm trying to reduce my co- my coffee intake. But um, yeah, it's, it's just a funny little thing to, to be going on. But it's it's yeah. it's plodding along. Hopefully by tomorrow, I think I'll just drop her off and then she's a kindergartner proper. But I, I'm surprised how quickly it, it, it sort of took. Yeah. I thought it might take longer, but yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, celebrations for kindergarten, but that's not the only exciting thing that's started or been happening in the last few days. Oktoberfest is here in the exciting environs in of, uh, of Munich. Yeah, it started. It started on was it Saturday or Friday? I think it started Saturday. They tapped the first keg. I'm uh-huh. sure Marcus Söder was there, but um, I know Söder was there. Ivanger was there. All the dignitaries were there, scumbags. Um, and then, uh, and then they they started the whole the whole shebang. Um, there was footage of the of the race to get to tables. Um, there's a lot of that doing the rounds on Sunday. Loads of people running. Lots of derogatory mm. comments about like, oh, Bavarian culture. This is disgusting. I'm like, it's people like having fun. Like, I don't necessarily want to hang around a load of teenagers puking in bins. 
but I'm not going to begrudge them the opportunity to puke up in bins. I've been sick in bins and it's never done me any any problems. So I haven't. You're a, a dainty wallflower, aren't you, uh, Dilly? So, um, <laughs> you wouldn't you wouldn't dream of vomiting into a bin. But that, I mean, brings me to the, the sort of question I wanted to ask you. Um, have you ever fancied drinking beer in a sweaty beer tent full of uh, lederhosen clad pissheads? Is that something that's ever attracted you? <laughs> you know, like, like every day, I dream about that every day. No, that's that's. <laughs> <laughs> Is I, it like your idea of hell? It must be. I, I mean, uh, I mean, everyone in costumes. I'm pretty sure everyone's sweating, and then you're in a tent. Is it a sweaty place? I mean, the tent. I mean, the tents are pretty well constructed. The problem, the, the, the when you're going to get condensation in tents is 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 to do with not is how many people's in the tent and how high the tent sort of ceiling is. And the tents, when we talk about tents, they're not like a shitty beer tent. They're proper big constructions. So it can get sweaty and hot. And imagine over the weekend when it was kind of, we were tipping into the 30s. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'd want to sit in a tent in leather pants Ugh. in 30 degree weather, to be oh, honest. No. Not kind of my idea of a good time. Uh, but I think... I think yeah, it can get quite quite intense. Um, the more people there are, and there was a, there's a lot of people going seemingly, or at least that's what it looked like. Yeah, okay. So hanging around a tent with with drunks is maybe not your cup of tea. But mm-hmm. how about alternative, queuing for forty minutes to use a toilet? Is that something you want to? They're real toilets now, not portaloos. They're actual toilet cabins. Some of them can be quite nice. I've heard, uh, not all of them, maybe one. What do you feel about that? Q in 40 minutes? Is that something you want to do at a kind of festival-y type event? Oh my gosh, like this is the dream. No, no. I'm trying to think of what it is that you would go do that you would let you would be happy to do that. <laughs> I'm fine just using my own toilet at home. That's happiness. That's my happiness. See if there was a fruit Oktoberfest, right? There oh, they have like- fruit beer? Do they have fruit beer? Nah, because that wouldn't be beer, would it? It would be, you'd have to name it something else because that would be against the Reinheitsgebot. But okay, imagine a world where there was a festival that was all about fruit, eating fruit, making fruit kind of things, uh, stuff out of fruit. It was rides celebrating fruit, like uh, people dressed up as mangoes knocking around the place, right? Like, think of that kind of festival event. Is I mean, I'm trying to think of what it is that would attract you to an environment like an Oktoberfest. Oh shit, now the whole world's gonna know how weird I am. No, but like what would you do? Like, cause I would I would do it once and I have done it once, but I'll probably do it. If somebody went, if 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 somebody from uh, somebody I know in Munich would call me up and said, I've got a spare seat at a table, do you want to go? I'd be like, Yeah, sure. I know it'll be awful and I'll probably hate it, but it'll be fun. But if you probably hate it and it would be awful, why would you go? And by the way, I used a new mango shampoo today. I can't wait to smell my own. <laughs> of course hair. you did. Of course you did. It wouldn't Jean be. Ullin. It wouldn't be. A, yeah. the, it wouldn't be the podcast without you. Fruity hair gels. Because um, <laughs> it's like terrible, but sometimes terrible things are also good. That's all I can really say. Like sometimes, like know. they can be awful, but you just said like fruit and all kinds of fruit. But I'm still. I'm. I'm not. You know. It would. My hands would be sticky. There would be no taps. I'll have to queue up for them, and. It's just going to be so full of people. I I want to eat fruit at the kitchen table, you know, where I can get to water and I won't have like sweet juice dribbling down my face. 
you know, it won't get on my clothes. I will have napkins. I don't know. I'm that kind of person. Okay, Diddy, here's a hypothetical. If I went and got a table for the three of us at Oktoberfest, and I said, I've got us a table. It's on, it's booked, the table's booked. You just need to come to Munich and meet me in Munich. Would you go? Um, I haven't. Just so you know, I'm not going to surprise you. But like, if if I did, if I said like, I've got it, because I feel like Simon would be like, yeah, I'll go. Would you, Simon? Blink twice if you need help. He would. He would. <laughs> He's blinking twice. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a hostage situation. Blink twice if you've been taken I don't know. It's really just not my thing. You know, like. Mm. Even to my brother's wedding with 150 people. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that like my my immediate family members looked out for me. Oh no, I wouldn't leave you on your own. I'd meet you at the Hauptbahnhof. I'd walk you all the way there. Or oh the no, no, I, I can walk I'd from the Hauptbahnhof. You. It's just that it's so crowded. It's going to be warm. People are going to be drunk and gropey and, and stinky because, you know, they're all in like sweaty clothes. I'm a very peculiar person, aren't I? No, no, not at all. I'm just trying to gauge um, what level you're going to have a conversation a about me behind my back with Simon, huh? I mean, yeah, probably, but I mean, that's not for you to worry about, is it? <laughs> <laughs> Come on, listeners, there, there's more, there's more of us there out, uh, out there, right? Like, like, say something. You can't, the listeners aren't going to be able they can't shout right there's there's a lot of them but if they all shout at once we might hear them but we've got we've got a few in south america so they'd really have to shout uh, um so. last year my boyfriend's friend and his wife came from well the friend's wife but you got that came from the netherlands and we all went out all four of us we went out to some pub or club in frankfurt and um they smoke inside we went in and it was just like, they felt like home in it. I just had to like get up and leave and I had to take a taxi back home because it was just too many people for me. It was weird. It really was. <laughs> and I'm so happy that Aww. my boyfriend doesn't judge me about things like that. I mean, if I take you to a pub, Tilly, I'd take you to a nice pub where they don't smoke. I promise. <laughs> but it's still going to be full of people. Ooh. <laughs> it's for the people i hate people i mean i do hate people maybe maybe you're right dilly maybe yours is the right, right way and mine's the wrong way you know last week in school i uh, wanted to get students to do like a role play and they're like oh what are we supposed to do what are, who are we supposed to play i said do me i mean you've heard me speak in english enough times in the class yeah, yeah do me and you know what they said ew don't touch me and i'm like shit i say that <laughs> <laughs> i mean at least they've been listening that's something but that's that's something to think about nick ew don't touch me it just reminds me of something that happened last week uh, my wife took my daughter to the playground for like uh -huh. a play date and uh, she came back and she was full of thunder and she was like your wife to yeah talking about my daughter and she was like she's so bossy in the playground she's so bossy and so like bossing the other kids around and telling them yeah. what to do and we're really careful not to talk about use that word bossy because we don't yeah, want it yeah, to, yeah. that to become a yeah. thing where she thinks like that's a negative thing I like, I like the idea she's got a lot of confidence and i think it's a positive yeah. but she, she is want to give orders right okay and uh and then i realized the reason she's like that is because 
is because that's the way I talk to her. And I looked at her and I was like, it's not just her, her you talk to like that. <laughs> She's like, you do you boss your daughter around? No, no, I don't. Like I'm the I'm the lowest rung of the ladder in my family. I used to be third, and then my my son was born, and now I'm fourth. So I'm like the least <laughs> important person. But what happens is, I mean, hey, it's like herd and smoke dealing with me. I'm sure, uh, and having me as a husband, I'm I'm a bit scattergun, and um, I'm not always thinking uh, the most logical things. Uh, so, man, what are you gonna do? Um, I'm I'm cute with it though. And uh, so it's, I understand why she's often is quite forceful, but I think it's just funny that she was hearing the same things that she says to me or to my daughter coming out of my daughter's mouth when she was talking to other kids. And uh, I just, it was, it was a nice moment of realization. Give <laughs> us an example, like, Nick. Uh, so, well, uh, with my daughter, she'll often just tell me off for things that aren't really mm. things to be tell, told off for. She's like, you don't do that, daddy. You can't do that. Don't be silly, daddy. Don't do that. And then oh, like she'll shit. sort of, she, she does this thing where she's sort of regurgitating things, like words she's heard mm -hmm. in these conversations, but she doesn't really know where they, where they place in a sentence and what they mean. So it'll be like, that's probably not what people should be doing today or something like that. <laughs> and it's like, okay. <laughs> But she has exactly the same tone as my wife. So that's quite funny. But I do like the fact that she's able to switch. Mm. So she, she, she'll come in and speak to me in English in the same tone as my wife often speaks to me. And then um, she'll switch to German to speak to my wife. So she's like, she does that quite often. That's quite funny. Mm. But um, yeah, uh, that, that mimicry thing can be quite a, quite, quite a, a troubling mirror. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, true. And in, and in both cases, very accurate. <laughs> so on Saturday, I took my daughter and my visiting mother mm -hmm. into uh, Augsburg city centre because uh, we're desperately looking for ways to entertain small children and uh, 70 plus um, parents. Uh, my assumption was Augsburg would do that. There's enough museums and churches to look around and ice cream to be bought. Mm -hmm. So, um, And I can't say I was expecting a vast amount from the visit, but I had totally forgotten that here in Bayern, we're in the midst of a an election. Mm -hmm. And thankfully, I'd forgotten about it. I was quite happy not to be thinking about politics for once. And walking down the Anastrasse, I noticed there was a lot of police about. And the Anastrasse is a, a funny little street. It's quite... It's not very wide and it kind of curves around the Rathausplatz and it's quite, it's a lot of lovely shops and it's quite nice and it's quite a nice thoroughfare. It was packed with people but loads of police as well and I was like, here, here up, something exciting's going on. And uh, I wondered what the commotion was and I saw I saw in the distance the, the familiar blue and red of the RFD and I was like, oh God, yeah, there's, the politicians are out and they're at the stands handing out flyers. And there was a disconcerting amount of blue shirted asses handing out flies mm -hmm. as well. And my assumption was, oh, well, the police are here to either kind of keep these guys in check or to maybe fend off anyone who might want to throw um, abuse at them. Mm -hmm. uh, but as I walked towards the stand, I suddenly realized that the police weren't actually there for the RFD. They were blocking like 20 odd anti-fascist protesters that had a banner and they were standing next to them and the police were like full-on blocking the banner so you couldn't read the banner and there was like these young fresh-faced kids handing out leaflets which i happily took one and i said good work 
and and thanks for doing this and they seem quite surprised that anyone would say anything well, i was just like you're doing you're doing fucking sterling work mm. and uh they seemed quite happy with that and uh i was just like i just thought it was totally wild that you'd have a protest that was so they they weren't anarchists they were just like they look like students who would be in one of my, my one of my lectures kind of right on kids but essentially quite sort of peaceful and the police were like mob handed all around them i saw um we talked a few weeks ago about the politician or the, the maybe i'm not sure if we talked about it but it was definitely in the milieu on on social media and the news about the afd politician who'd been uh beat uh, uh, claimed he'd been beaten, yes, beaten up, yes, we walking did. through Augsburg, and he uh, he was there, kind of milling around the back. Oh, how was he? And um, he totally recovered, ah. uh, miraculous recovery from his terrible ordeal. And uh, yeah, the oh man, it was real Stepford Wives kind of shit. Like there looked like there was a lot of kind of sort of flowing 50s dresses and besuited men and it all felt very it felt really right wing do you know when you see um cults i was gonna say the word cult yeah like do you know when you see like hyper religious cults yes. and the women are all kind of dressed in really kind of um conservative um, really conservative yeah. outfits like almost insanely so yeah. it felt very much that vibe oh, no. and i was just like oh scumbags and um i have to try to hand me a, a leaflet and i just walk past them and I was just shaking my head. And I was like, I, I wanted to say something, but I was just like, I don't think my German would hold together because I was so angry. Yeah, I, I was like so angry. I was so preoccupied by it because what I'd want to do is like, get the fuck off our street. Like, you you, you don't fucking belong here. Like, that's what I felt yeah, like saying. I yeah. was like, you're aligned with fascists and you should be ashamed mm. of yourself. But I knew I just couldn't, I couldn't get that out in German without just like screaming at them. So I was like, I need to calm down. Mm -hmm. We went for a bit of a walk and then we turned the corner and the antidote to the AfD was right in front of me, which is Departai, mm -hmm. the satirical political party. And they were just setting up a stand. And I was like, right, I'm going to go talk to them because yeah. they'll make me feel better. Yeah, you do that. And so, and I took my daughter over as well because we're giving out stickers and stuff yeah. and, and like, we've got some ridiculous sort of stickers and all their stickers are kind of, I think the one of them was like, uh, dream of a better a, a better fantasy or something like that a better like fantasy and uh it was two unicorns having sex and i was like i'm taking that sticker and uh, so it's just like just stupid phrases on their stickers <laughs> and they had like frisbees two unicorns having frisbee. sex. yeah it was just like yeah bang on that's just weird and strange and and they were good and so they were and it was, it was funny they were like drinking beer at their stand and it was exactly what you'd expect of a kind of pseudo punk satirical political party and their candidate i forget his name is on his posters is giving everyone the middle finger and i'm like yeah it's a little bit on the nose <laughs> it's it a little, little bit on the nose yeah. but yeah, yeah. But, and then uh spoke to the lovely middle class green party people and my daughter got one of those little wind rad yeah um sort of things and she, she it was, it was so funny it was almost like i didn't need to tell her and she was like straight off down the street like and i was like trailing behind her and she she sort of marched past the AfD stand, like waving this thing in the Aww. air, and uh, and you could see there was, there was there was a couple of kind of faces that were like sort of not not massively happy about it. And I was like, I was just like, say something, just say something, <laughs> someone say something, <laughs> like, give me the just give me the opportunity. The, and, the excuse uh, to didn't. punch someone in the face. No, I, no, not at all. But this the excuse to kind of give someone a mouthful because that's honestly what they deserve. I'm not here to beat up people, but yeah. So it was just like uh, it was that realization of of ah, oh, we're right in the midst of the election, mm -hmm. and I thought it was interesting timing as well because it bled into a topic of discussion that's been coming up over the last few days certainly over the weekend 
um, after a, a, a state parliamentary vote in Thuringia, the sort of head of the CDU, Fred, uh, Friedrich Mertz, who we've talked about a number of times, mm-hmm. has been defending the uh, Thuringian CDU parliamentary group um, from a lot of criticism mm-hmm. because they they had a vote on uh, a motion that they put forward and the vote passed, mm. uh, but it passed only with the support of the AfD. And this is in co- sort of contravenes this brand mower that they've been talking about, this firewall that's meant to be prevent any of the traditional parties working with the AfD. And uh, the accusations were leveled at, 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 at Mertz and the CDU that they were um, making agreements with the AfD and kind of counter to this claim that um, Mertz has been really strong on, uh, saying at least, but action-wise has been quite behind. And he said, we don't base ourselves on who agrees, but rather on what we think is right in the matter. Mm-hmm. So this idea that this is the the right thing is always the the right thing, essentially. And then uh, he also sort of went on to talk about how the fire the firewall uh, that he promoted and said was still in place, and how it had been sort of de- degraded by this vote. Um, and he said he said that he didn't see a reason for the AfD to celebrate this this vote or this moment um, of of collaboration with the CDU. Um, they shouldn't see it as something to celebrate about because it's not something that's going to happen all the time. And he said, to be honest, I'm not interested in what the AfD says about it. Mm-hmm. But it's like, well, it doesn't matter if you're not interested, you've still aligned yourself with the AfD. Yeah. And the reason it's so it's such a problem is because the vote itself was on this this Grunderwerbsteuer, which is the, the, the tax you pay. It's a tax you pay when you buy a house, mm-hmm. essentially. And uh, in fairness, in Turingia, it's one, it's the highest it can be. It's six point five percent, and they, the 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 motion was to reduce it by five percent. Mm-hmm. And the reason it's contentious is, well, first and foremost, you're reducing tax in a period where everybody's kind of struggling, and the state needs as much money as it can get. Mm. But also, they're the opposition, the CDU. They're not actually in government, and and it's kind of embarrassing for the the ruling coalition of the uh, Dilinka SPD and Greens, who uh, are the government in Turingia. And they've sort of embarrassed the government by putting this motion through. They've taken what is approximately 48 million out of the budget of Turingia based on this tax cut, which seems like a tax cut mm. for the wealthy rather than for kind of, here's your opportunity to, if you're going to work with the AfD or if you're going to get their votes, have it, have it be something meaningful. Making it a tax break for people who are buying houses is not really that, is it? Um, so there's a lot of going on there. Yeah kind of feels like these stories are coming out quite regularly and i was thinking it feels a bit like a death by a thousand cuts no. am i being too dramatic delhi what do you think i don't know when i was listening to what you said about Mayats, i was thinking that like his responses uh to journalists i mean he sounds like a 14 year old uh, a defensive 14 year old well i don't care what the yeah. ifd says uh, yeah uh, you know it, it, this doesn't matter that matters and he he's such a failed politician to me, Odo. Yeah, no, I mean, he's not failing. He seems to be doing quite well, sadly. But uh, I can't um, believe it. I mean, how is it that it is these people that thrive? I, it's honestly the question I've been asking myself all year. I started twenty twenty three with a vast amount of optimism, mm, and it's yeah. been degraded day by day as, as as it's gone on. Yeah, what are we doing wrong? Seriously, in what sense? What what do you mean we? Is it up to us to show who these people really are? I mean, we are also voters, right? I mean, do we have a part to play in it? What can we do to make sure that Marcus Söder 
for instance, doesn't bulldoze his way through with meat and beer. Well, I think it's a foregone conclusion. He's down percentage points, um, Suda in, 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 in Bavaria, mm. with their election upcoming. Mm. And he's on 36%. And there's been a surge in the right wing um, support for the likes of Ivanger, who we've talked mm. about, um, and his and his uh, issues with um, with the the flyer scandal about this anti-Semitic flyer that had been found in his school bag thirty years mm. ago. That seems only to have made him more popular, and it does feel like I think it, it's a lot to do with the media holding people to account, and I think it's also yeah. about each of us holding people to account and talking about these things and sort of. I was talking to my neighbor about it. Mm. And and I was like, the only thing that annoys me at the moment is is the fact that I have to keep driving past posters with Marcus Surda's face on mm. it. And he sort of laughed. But there may be there. The, my neighbors are probably CSU voters, but um, it's hard to challenge people on it because it's like, oh, well, it's just my choice, isn't it? And you, it's hard to have these arguments with individuals. Yeah. But I do think it's something where as time goes on, it's taken taken action in some way shape or form yeah it's hard to make people understand that yeah it is their vote and um it's something personal but uh, but then they subscribe to the larger causes and uh, the consequences of the having these people elected i mean Söder, he's riding on the uh, i mean he's riding on racism right that's what he's doing with his speeches and if people support him then they're also supporting what he supports. I mean, how do we make people understand that? I don't know. Soda, Mertz, like the leaders sort of, they initially seem to be benefiting from this strategy of kind of co-opting ideas from the RFD and yeah, kind of repackaging yeah. them and pretending like they're, they're somehow different. And as even Mertz had said something about we're RFD with substance, I think is what he'd said. And he keeps saying these quite inflammatory things. And I'm beginning to wonder because every time it happens, more people within his party criticize him. Because at some point, they're going to have to choose who's going to be the candidate. Just because mm. he's the leader or the the face of the party right now, that could all shift because you, you get the candidate, the Spitzenkandidat Val, where they choose the person who's going to lead the party into the election. Yeah. There's no guarantee that's going to be Mert. That could easily be there's a, the guy who's the the minister president in Northwest, Ryan Westphalen. Mm. He's very popular. There's a few others. I mean, there's a guy, uh, the, the prime minister or the minister president in Schleswig Holstein. He came out and said that it was the wrong decision, that they shouldn't have done mm -hmm. this, and that the increasing radical radicalization within the RFD needs a consistent stance, is what he'd said. And the reaction from uh, Mertz was, oh, this is just an individual opinion. This isn't the opinion of the CDU. And you're like, well, you're telling me that those are things that all CD voters, CDU voters can get behind. I don't know that it is. And I wonder if it really can come back and bite them in the arse. Um, maybe. Nothing seems to bite these people in the arse. That's my problem. I think I think at the moment we've got to see there's a, there's a new new session in the Bundestag. Mm. I think that I think that they, they seem far more combative when I've seen the debates mm. recently. Certainly last week the discussions were really Harbeck was front and center. So was um, Schultz, mm. and um, I think I think we're going to see more fight back because what you forget is Schultz is actually a quite quite a good orator. You know, he can be quite fiery. You know, he's charismatic now. He can be when he wants to be, when he's got the passion, you know, yeah. but he, he tends to also be quite robotic. Yeah. But um, maybe it's the eye patch, I don't know. Maybe that's really given him a bit of an oomph. But um, 
Harbeck's the same. I think Harbeck's got can be really convincing. Yeah, but he can. He just tends to take a set step step back. Yeah. And I think it's people like that, but also people within the CDU who need to sort of speak up. Yeah. When they see this sort of stuff, but yeah, I mean, this is just another 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 kind of link in the chain, as it were. Uh, it's dragging down the the political debate. Um, I'm, imagine, I imagine we'll return to this topic in two weeks. I'll probably put set our watches by it. It should. At the end of 2021, 16 classes at 10 Berlin schools took part in a project uh, from the Games Machen Schule initiative. It was planned and carried out by Digital Gaming Culture Foundation. Teachers used games and maths and history lessons for eight school hours. Uh, in history, for example, they used stra- the strategy game Brass, which is based on a board game about the Industrial Revolution and uh, like a strategy game. And they've used other games for other, for other classes. And now, Dilly, you're, I'm an educator. You're an educator. I'm totally into this idea of using video games as, mm-hmm. as educational tools. I was wondering what you thought what, what you thought about it. And actually, I was wondering as, in a whole whether you're the kind of person who plays video games. We know you're not the person who goes to Oktoberfest or Fruit Fest, which I invented recently. Um, but how do you feel about video games? I don't play any video games, to be honest. But I like using these uh, in classes. I like students using mobile phones. I like them taking part in games using mobile phones and talking about video games, presenting them. It's just that I'm not the kind of person to play video games. Oh, man. Are you already looking uh, for another (laughs) co-host on on podcast Tinder? It's another black mark against Uh, your name. Uh, Actually, the thing I was curious about is uh, we used we had like really old bbc computers in my school yeah like the f- sort of terribly like floppy disk mm-hmm. like really old floppy disks as well and i was wondering did you have those like uh, like things like that in your schools or did you have did you use computers when when you were going through school and if and if you found them them helpful because i just remember playing lemmings on ours for hours yeah hours. i mean we played games i don't think we did anything particularly fancy we did have floppy disks. Everyone taught us how to use floppy disks. And I think I had a couple at home. <laughs> it was kind of like IT skills rather than like, this is how you type. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. This is, yeah. This is called a mouse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you had to name the parts of a computer. This yeah, is the exactly. monitor. And this is the CPU. <laughs> this is the CPU. That was computer studies, it. yeah. Yeah. Um, so pre-selecting the right game obviously is quite important yeah. uh, to achieve like learning success. And one of the games they used is Mario Kart Tour, which is not a game I know very well. I know Mario Kart, but not this particular mm-hmm. version of it. And they were using it for statistics in maths uh, because it collects all the data about speed and times of, of the little Mario Karts. I know that British schools have used Minecraft as a teaching tool. Like minecraft you build things mm-hmm. and it's kind of like lego but mm-hmm. but not and you could build entire sort of universes really mm-hmm. in this game that seems like an obvious teaching tool i wouldn't have said mario was the obvious teaching tool i feel like i don't know i'm not I'm not entirely sure i'm convinced by the use of nintendo's like foremost icon as a teaching tool i uh, i mean i would love to know how they use um, this stuff as teaching tools that might help 
whatever rocks the boat. Well, that's the great thing about the the initiative. Actually, all that stuff can be downloaded. Mm-hmm. You can download teaching plans from them and ideas for for how to how to use this stuff in class. But um, the sort of lessons were have been devised by a group in the Freiburg Center for Didactic Computer Games Research, mm-hmm. and uh, they've come up with various lesson plans. And they've actually been going for quite a long time. I think there's um, w- one of the members has been doing it for 15 years. And they offer training for teachers. Also, they interact with developers of games too. Uh, so they can kind of request ideas and the game developers can introduce them. And it means that they get access to certain games, like indie developers, people, not the big publishers, but smaller developers. So they can kind of suggest ideas that might make their game more useful for, for in schools. Mm-hmm. What I was thinking though is like Germans, and I don't know how much you know about this. Germans love simulation games, like, like desperately Sims. love them. Not even more than that, like Sim Farmer and like like simulation, like flight simulations, yeah. and tractor simulations, uh-huh. truck driving simulations are really popular too. Um, do you think by introducing games like that, where you're simulating these kind of manual tasks, do you think? Uh, We'll get a new raft of like pilots and truck drivers and farmers coming through the system. Is that the way we can do it? We can introduce farming to kids via computer games. Oh, oh, my head's gonna ache. So they think like <laughs> learning to farm on a computer is better than actually going outside and learning to farm. Well, that's my question is do you think that's a viable idea? <laughs> you know, I'm not the person to give out handy tips on farming, but May I suggest that people <laughs> go out the door with a shovel, Nick? I mean, is that too radical for today? So I don't know how to dig this hole. The mouse isn't working. <laughs> <laughs> Let me sit in one place and learn how to move my ass. Uh, yeah. But they use, the, the, what they've done is they've used some quite interesting games. It isn't just, uh, like, this, there isn't Mario. I mean, that's kind of stretching the boundaries, I would have said. But there's games like Firewatch, which is a really interesting um, game where you're basically in the National Forest in the US and you've got to hunt down a guy who's setting fires. And it's kind of narrative story. That could be, that's, I can see its applications there. There's also other games like, um, there's a really funny surreal game called The Stanley Parable, which is kind of like uh, philosophical and it's not it's it's narrated but the narrator changes the direction of the game it's quite hard to explain but it's got a lot of applications to for, to dis- discussions on philosophy for sure so there's a lot more wide range there as well um i, I just think i think there's a lot of opportunities i know there's a lot of like cooking uh, games uh, dilly and a lot of like games where you have to like cut fruit and i was just thinking that 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 might entice you in. Cut you know? through it. Okay. Okay. Yeah, there's 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 one game. There's one game in particular that I think it's about a Mexican family and their kind of their like what they eat for dinner and you help them cook dinner. And I was like, oh, I'd say you could see its application. It's like quite interesting. It elicits little bits of the culture and mm-hmm. kind of talks about different ideas and kind of cultural points in in, in a Latinx family. And I thought that was quite interesting. Um, okay. But yeah. Maybe that's something you could apply, you know? Bit of fruit ninja. That might be something you can introduce. Fruit ninja. Class. Okay, you might be onto something there. Fruit. Cross sections <laughs> of fruit. Mash the fruit to the cross section. Ooh, now oh God. Uh, you know, I don't know. I can I can play that. 
But yeah, I mean, ultimately, I think I think there's a lot of different applications. I was thinking about how I would use it in a class environment. My classes are quite like 30 people, roughly maybe 30 plus. And I was thinking for like British cultural studies, there must be like, is there a corruption video game? I can get? <laughs> like this, this explains political corruption. I mean, sure there's plenty of empire building games that would be yeah. useful. Like, like this is how you build an empire. You'd be a massive scumbag. Um, I think that's there's plenty of applications, but I don't know. Is there like with English? It's a bit different, isn't it? I mean, do you think playing video games in English is a good thing for kids who like German kids who want to learn the language? Absolutely. I have students who uh, you know we talk about how English is relevant to them in their day to day lives. So there are lots of kids who say, ah, oh, you know, I I speak in English with my uh, with my gaming friends, and they are all over the world sometimes. And they talk. They have to learn English, or they have to talk to these people in English, and that is actually also how they learn English. And they kind of like you know learn English as they use it, and it's a huge part of uh, language learning. I think gaming, and I mm. I think it's pretty cool. Uh, on the other hand, I've also had students. You know, um, okay, I want you to present on something, um, something that's important to you, and then they present on a video game. They explain something about it in English. They show a few slides, and that's also cool. Um, I, I think it's. Um, it's something that is very relevant to these kids. I think it's more relevant to students uh, compared to telling them you need English to be able to get a job in 10 years. Well, I was thinking, I was thinking about things like history. It's a topic that's quite hard to teach because it can be quite dry. Mm. But they've certain classes have used um, Assassin's Creed, which is a popular ah, nice. um, historical video game yeah. that covers different eras. Yeah. I'm, there, there was there has been criticism where it's kind of like well it depends how you use it and really is is kind of walking around uh, Renaissance Florence yeah. really going to teach you about the Renaissance I, I think there's there is some questions that need to be asked about how it's used yeah. but I do think being able to take someone and put them in a historical environment and see it yeah. for themselves even if it's just a recreation yeah. I think that that can be quite powerful in and, and, and teaching and and even as something is like i remember playing the original call of duties mm. games and they were set in the F second world war and you would storm the beaches on d-day and it's the first time i'd ever seen anything like that and i remember like being like totally bowled over by that experience but at the same time it was very much a action game yeah uh, there wasn't a lot of historical kind of discussions it was shoot nazis win game so uh, but I do see the advantages of kind of walking around the living museum, as it were. And also geography, no? I mean, imagine being... Oh, right, I mean, yeah, we, yeah. We just got to... I mean, we are getting through COVID. And, uh, I mean, there are kids who haven't been... Uh, who haven't left the country with their parents at all. And imagine them getting the chance... Uh, uh, I mean, there are kids who will never be able to go abroad because they won't have the money. Um, I mean, imagine them getting the chance to see things... Uh, uh, like you know, immerse yourself in another world for a couple of minutes virtually. I think that's that's a that's pretty neat. I think there's, there's something you learn from seeing. Like that's what I've always enjoyed about living and traveling in, in in a different country is that it's the experience of being on the ground, you know, and seeing it, um, and seeing like what the streets look like, yeah. what it smells like, and there's certain things you can create and certain things you can't. And I think it does bring cultures closer together. Like what? What is it like to walk through a favela? You know, mm. what is it like to kind of walk through um, 
the streets of London or something. Yeah. You know, it's not the same as just seeing it on TV. Mm. Um, I think having that opportunity to, to get a, a 3D environment yeah. would definitely broaden kids' horizons, yeah. uh, for sure. That brings us to the end of the show. I'm going on a virtual tour of Fruitoberfest just to see if I like it. I promise you, you will. It'll be lovely. You haven't even seen the uh, dragon fruit stand. Woohoo! Oh, hey. Ooh, dragon fruit. <laughs> if you're enjoying the podcast, why not give us a rating on iTunes, which only takes a minute and can really help us. You can also rate us on Spotify, so chuck some stars our way there as well. Retweet us, share a link, or post with the hashtag Decades From Home, or lowercase, on Twitter. As ever, if you have any questions, feedback, or maybe an article or topic you'd like us to cover, you can tweet Dilly on at Dilly Algama, and you can tweet me at 40% German. You can also get us on decadesfromhome at gmail.com. If you have time, take a look at 40percentgerman.com. Weekly articles are up every Saturday. All that's left to say is thanks and bis some next time. Cheers! Cheers.